888-835-2414. This is Learning with Leslie. Hello and welcome to another episode of Learning with Leslie, the podcast where you learn, I learn, we all learn about how to build an online business with a blog. No, I'm not talking about one of those blogs that will fall by the wayside when Google has a mood swing. I'm talking about one that will thrive no matter what gets thrown at it. I'm your host, Leslie Samuel from becomeablogger.com where we're changing the world one blog at a time and as usual, I have another exciting interview for you today. I'm on the line with none other than Paula Pant, who launched her own business at age 27, traveled to 30 countries by age 30, and hates cubicles with a passion. Her blog, Afford Anything, is dedicated to developing laptop-based lifestyle businesses, crushing limits, and maximizing life. AffordAnything.com is a new gathering spot for a tribe of people who want to build wealth, create freedom, Enjoy epic adventures, travel, and quit the corporate grind. In this episode, episode 273, we're actually going to talk about how to become a better writer. If you're a blogger, chances are you're writing. Content is the currency of the internet, and it's becoming harder to stand out in a crowd of bloggers. So we got to become better writers, and that's why we have Paula on here. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Paula, hello, and welcome to Learning with Leslie. How are you doing? Wow, Leslie, you have so much energy. <laughs> well, you know, I remember from the last time that you have just as much energy as I do, if not more. So this <laughs> this podcast episode is probably going to be on fire. <laughs> on fire. That's what I like to hear. That's what's up. So, OK, so you are on this podcast in February of 2006. Oh, wait. This is, it's been, yeah, yeah, okay. February 2015. We're in 2016 right now. I'm <laughs> Wait, getting... did you just say 2006? <laughs> wow, Leslie, we go way back. We, we've been podcasting for a while. <laughs> Anyhow, 2000. 2000- I was on this podcast since before I knew what a podcast was. <laughs> I love it. I love it. 2015. Um, and I'm assuming a lot has happened since then. Now, we're not going to go into the entire backstory because we did that. That was back in uh, episode 203. So if you want to go and check that out, you can do that. Um, I want to kind of get us caught up in terms of what's happening over the last year. Now, before that, uh, you, I, you, we, we spoke about you leaving your job, traveling uh, for two years to a 30-something country, living off your savings, starting a blog, starting this second blog, Afford Anything. Um, and uh, does that kind of summarize what happened? In that, that, that certainly rings a bell. Okay, it rings a bell. Okay, sweet. Now, at the end of that episode, you told me that you had some plans. And those two plans, now we got to see if you actually followed through on these plans. Yeah. Plan number one was to start a podcast. Did you do that? I did. Woo-hoo! Wow. <laughs> oh, cool. Yes, um, I did. It's called the Afford Anything Podcast. And uh, we have just recently, uh, we've just recently reached, I think, 300,000 downloads. Nice. So, yeah. When did you launch the podcast? Uh, February. Is, is that true? Yeah, February of 2016. February of 2000. That's this year, by the way. That's, yes, that is this year. And just passing 300,000 downloads? Yes. In wow. Fact, I, I can get you the number. I think that because that was a few weeks ago. It might be up to like 320, 320, 330 by around now. That is awesome. Okay, so check. Number one, you did it. Sweet. Congratulations. Woo-hoo! Now, you also said that you wanted to create a free course, uh, your first, not a free course, your, your first course. Did you end up doing that? I am in the process of doing that right now. In fact, just before we got onto this podcast recording, I was recording some video for the course. Nice. I love it. Okay. So, so a lot has happened. Now, bring us up to speed. We know you did the podcast. You're getting ready to do the first course. What has, what has happened over the last year? Wow. Well, actually, Leslie, I I really have to thank you um, because you said I'm I'm gonna I'm going to expose your listeners to a conversation that you and I had privately. I All hope right. that's okay. Um, so when you and I met at FinCon, mm-hmm. which is the the blo- a financial bloggers conference, um, when we met at that conference, uh, I was having this problem because I was 
I, I was a blogger and I wanted to expand my reach. Um, but I was doing all of this freelance work for other clients. Yeah. Freelance writing, freelance social media management, all of that. And I was having a very hard time giving it up because, frankly, because it was lucrative. Yeah. You know? Um, and I talked to you about that. And, um, you know, you you encouraged me to follow my calling, which my calling is the blog and the podcast. Um and I said, yeah, but can't I do both? Can't I? You know, it's if I were just more efficient with my time, because <laughs> that was the excuse that I always told myself, like, oh, I can't give this up because I know that I'm not operating at peak efficiency. And if I could just be a better person, mm. you know, if I could just be more productive, then I could do both. And I said that to you and you said something that I have never forgotten. You just you looked at me and you said, how long have you been saying that? <laughs> and that I, I've thought about that many, many times. And so the big update that I have from this past year, and I, I have you to thank for it, is that I have dropped uh, those clients. You know, I, I've kept only a very, very few who I enjoy working with. Yeah. Um, you know, the ones that when I'm when I get done with a phone call with them, I feel energized yeah, rather than yeah. depleted. You know, I've kept the very few favorite ones and let go of everybody else. Wow. I, I remember that conversation because we were down, we came down the escalator and we sat there. Uh, I remember the section that we sat and we were talking about that. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you went in that direction. Now, let me ask this. What's the difference between before? What's the before and after? Um, how do you feel since making that decision? And how have things gone since making that decision? Well, to be perfectly honest, both the podcast, which I just checked, were at 350,000 downloads. Oh, wow. Um, both the podcast and the course, which is actively in development, I would not have had time for either of those mm. if I were trying to balance um, maintaining this kind of freelance client business with uh, with blogging. I mean, you know, blogging plus the client business, I was already kind of balancing two jobs. I couldn't add a third or fourth in, into the mix. So let's talk about the podcast a little bit. You, you launched the podcast in February mm -hmm. of this year. Um, why did you launch a podcast, first of all? Huh, that's, that's a good question. Um, partially, even though I am a writer, um, partially I wanted to express myself in a different medium. Um, I love writing, but I also love talking. And sometimes when I'm brainstorming a blog post, uh, I will talk out loud my thoughts and digitally record it. So I, I thought, you know, maybe it might be fun to just basically to to communicate um, with my audience in a wholly different medium than than text. So and, and you launched a podcast. And for you, what has been the biggest benefit of doing this podcast? I know we're talking about writing today, but I want to explore this a little bit. What has been the biggest benefit for you? I think a couple of things. Number one, um, I interview a lot of authors on the podcast. And so I reach out. This is this is totally self-serving. Um, <laughs> I reach out to authors who I have uh, who fall into one of two categories. Either I've read their books for years and years and years and I've always wanted to meet them and talk to them. And now I have a reason to, you know, now I can reach out to them and say, hey, would you like to come on the podcast? Um, and that's great for me because when you when you talk to somebody whose uh, work you followed for a long time, I mean, that's very meaningful. Um, and then the other benefit is if there's a particular author who I've been meaning to read for a while, but I haven't gotten around to it yet, I'll reach out to them and say, hey, would you like to come on to the podcast? And if they say yes, then I'm like, Oh, <laughs> darn it. Now I have to read, I their read book. the book. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it gives me a deadline and therefore an incentive to uh, to hurry up and, and get all their books and read them as quickly as I can. <laughs> so, so OK, uh, you mentioned that you interview authors. Is that primarily what you do? I mean, do you interview other professionals that aren't writers or do you focus um, exclusively on writers? Oh, no. So I interview. Um, so I, I guess I should amend that. When I say I interview authors, the reason that I'm talking to them isn't because of their writing, the their technical writing quality, per se. It's because of uh, their ideas. Okay. And that's what I'm really trying to communicate within the podcast is uh, I'll talk to people who have ideas not to to quote the uh, the TED conference motto ideas worth sharing. Yeah. 
Um, and so, so I don't just interview authors. I'll interview anybody who I feel has an idea that is worth sharing, whether it's uh, bloggers or in, I've actually, one of the most popular interviews that I've done was with just a random uh, woman who's a, a good friend of mine. And she had very, she had a very interesting experience with how she manages her time and her money and business and productivity. And, and so I, I brought her onto the show to talk from the perspective of a like, quote unquote, normal person. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. So um, another question about that, what has it done for your, not readers, I guess, listeners, what has it done for your audience, basically, in terms of your connection to them, relationships? Has it done anything for that? Um, you know, so I think I, I can definitely see how it deepens my relationship with my um, most dedicated fans mm -hmm. because uh, they will, you know, th there are a lot of people like, for example, this course that I'm building, I have a beta test group of about 50 people. And a lot of the people who are beta testers for the course, now I've only promoted the course on my blog. I, I didn't promote it on the podcast. But a lot of the people who are in that group uh, also listen to the podcast. Huh. And I, I know this because they'll mention when we're talking, they'll mention an episode that I did um, or they'll mention something that they heard on the show. And so I can, I can kind of tell that a lot of my audience um, – likes to listen to me in all those multiple platforms. So that's been really cool just in terms of like deepening that relationship. Very interesting. You know, I, I, when I think about when I go to conferences and someone comes up to me and say, hey, Leslie, uh, they don't usually say, hey, Leslie, uh, that article that you wrote that one time on such a topic was so great. They usually ask me about something that I spoke about in my podcast. And it may just be something that happened with my son or with my wife, my family or something of that sort. And I find that to be very interesting. There's a different level of connection that I usually see when you do have a podcast. Yeah. You know, I've, I have heard that from many people before I started the podcast. Um, one of my friends, I love the way that he phrased it. He said, you know, when you are in somebody's earbuds, yeah. you know, that's, that's a very intimate connection to be that close to someone. Most definitely. Yeah. Okay. And so it's cool. You know, I, I, li I hear from uh, my audience as well. They'll sometimes email me and they'll tell me where they are when they're listening to it. So they'll be commuting <laughs> to work or they'll be running or they'll be cooking dinner. And it's great to have that visual. Like uh, when I am, you know, researching or writing out interview questions or just trying to decide what I, you know, tr trying to make content decisions, I can imagine somebody preparing dinner in Kansas City mm. listening to this, you know, or um, one person said that he listens while mowing the lawn, which I don't understand how that's possible because that's a lawnmower is loud. <laughs> if you got noise canceling headphones, that works. <laughs> <laughs> you must have a very good set of headphones. Exactly. OK, so I don't want to assume that anyone knows what you what the topic of your blog is or what you talk about in the podcast. So can you just let us know uh, for anyone that maybe is new to Paula for some reason, can you let them know what the topic is? Like, what do you cover? Sure. Well, so the name of both the blog and the podcast is Afford Anything. And the idea is that you can afford anything, but not everything. And that's true, not just of your money, but also your time, your energy, your focus, um, you know, any limited resource within your life. And so the core of what I talk about is prioritizing its values. It's making decisions about what's important and what's not so that you can choose what to focus on. Um, there's there's obviously a strong money-related component because, you know, as, as evidenced by the name. But I, I do work hard to break out of just being um, solely contained in the money sphere because, you know, money is not – it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It exists uh, in relationship to our lives. So my, my like, two-second elevator speech is that I write at the intersection between money and lifestyle – Got it. Got it. Love it. Love it. And if that sounds interesting to you, make sure to go to affordanything.com and check out what Paula has going on over there. She got she's have she got a lot. I can't even speak. Lots of good <laughs> stuff going on over there. Now, one of the things that's unique about you is your writing. And I think and you can correct me if I'm wrong. The reason a lot of people have followed you over the years before the podcast, before the course and all that good stuff 
is because of your writing. Is that a fair statement? I, I would say so. I've heard that from many of my readers. Okay. Now, what is, what is, what's different about the way you write? I mean, there are many financial blogs out there or many blogs that talk about finances and lifestyle or, or uh, saving and investing and all that kind of stuff. Why is yours, what makes yours different? I put, well, for one thing, so, so there are two elements to good writing. There is originality of ideas and then there's the technical aspect of crafting well-written sentences and paragraphs. Um, I hope that my ideas are original, but my readers can be a, a my audience can be a better judge of that than I can. Um, so, but in my process is I put a lot of care and attention into word choice, sentence structure, paragraph structure, flow, um, all, all of those technical aspects of creating almost a, a painting with words. Um, I hope I'm not talking myself up too much. I, can, I imagine some listeners <laughs> going to my blog and being like, really, a really? painting That's with words? This, uh, <laughs> you're tooting your own horn. <laughs> no, I, well, I can attest to that because I've read some of your stuff and I found exactly what you're... I mean, I'm not no, no technical writing genius or anything of that sort, but I love the way it flows. I love the way you... Cr- it, you said crafting. Now, for me, when I'm writing an article... It mm-hmm. comes out of my head and it goes on paper. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of brain dump and, you know, I, I edit it a little bit, but I kind of just put it out there. But you take much more care in that. And I, I want to explore that much more deeply. Okay. Um, let's say you're writing an article for your blog. Mm-hmm. What, what process do you go through? So my f- step one is very similar to you. Actually, let me take that back. Step zero is getting that inspiration. So uh, reading books, listening to podcasts, reading other blog posts, just taking in lots and lots of uh, other ideas and information because I think part of the writing process is synthesizing um, many different thoughts and ideas that you learn from the outside world and pulling that all together and contextualizing it within your own framework. Mm -hmm. So step zero in the process is just reading. Um, I read a lot and I, and, and I listen to audiobooks and I listen to podcasts. And, uh, and so that, that's kind of the foundation of all of this. Now, now I'm curious about this, uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm writing a blog about blogging, uh, it's a good idea to read content about blogging and about business and about affiliate marketing, yada, 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 because you want to build a business for you. The, is that reading books that are in your niche or reading books outside of your niche? How, how does that look for you in terms of that getting that inspiration? Well, um, in terms of getting inspiration for, for ideas, for the content, I would say I would recommend reading books that are either within your niche or are related to your niche. Okay. Um, so they don't have to be like for yours, for example, if your niche is blogging, um, related niches could include entrepreneurship, business, mm-hmm. productivity, uh, time management, anything, anything kind of in that general sphere, because you'll probably pick up on ideas from that that you can then relate back to blogging. Got it. Love it. All right. So, um, but yeah, then the other, sorry, then the other aspect of it, though, is uh, in order to hone your technical writing skills, um, I think there's a huge amount of benefit to just reading anything. So read Harry Potter if that's what you're into, you know, because the more you generally read, even if it's completely outside of your niche, even if you're reading Lord of the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, there's a benefit to just looking at well-crafted uh, wordsmithing. Awesome. Okay, I love it. Uh, and that that's something that I've started doing recently. I've started being kind of, well, actually, I'm probably go a little to the extreme in terms of going outside of my niche. But I find that when I look at what other people outside of this bubble are doing, mm-hmm. I get more inspiration for interesting ways that I can approach different pieces of content. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to hear you say that. Nice. Okay, so... so you get that inspiration. That's step zero. Then you, I guess we got to start with a step one after that. So let's let's go there. <laughs> so my step one is exactly what you described uh, when you talked about your own process. I brain dump out of my head onto a piece of paper. 
Um, and that's it. Just brain dump stream of consciousness. I set aside a particular time of day every day to do that. And I just I protect that as though it's a meeting um, with another person. I don't let anything interfere with that. And and that's step one is just doing that that brain dump. Well, I'm curious now, that time of day, how much time are you setting apart? What you said every day, like, is that literally every day? Uh, every weekday, Monday through Friday. Monday through Unless, Friday. Unless I'm traveling or at a conference or something like that. But well, when that, I'm at home, it's every weekday. But you're always traveling. So I guess you <laughs> never write anything. <laughs> at least that's the way it looks on Facebook. Yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> it is true. <laughs> All right. So how much time do you spend on a daily basis writing? Uh, between one to two hours. I oh. block out one hour on my schedule. And if I'm... If the ideas are still flowing after the end of that hour, I'm not going to force myself to stop. Wow. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious then mm-hmm. of all that. I mean, that's a lot of writing. That's yeah. a lot of brain dumping and, and crafting and all that good stuff. How much of that actually gets published? Very little of it. Really? Yeah. Very, very little of it. And the things that do get published have hours and hours and hours of editing. Uh, that go into them. Like when when I talk about writing, I'm you I'm really not using the most accurate word because writing uh, I use the word writing as a shorthand for writing, reading, writing and editing. And of those three, editing is perhaps the most I don't I don't want to say the most important, but editing is that, you know, it, it just it cannot be overlooked and its importance cannot be overstated. Okay. I'm 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 kind of getting a little excited about this. Okay, so you brain dump onto a piece of paper. You're doing this consistently at a specific time of the day. Uh, Mm -hmm. You spend about an hour, if not more, every weekday as much as possible to, to not just this brain dumping process, but the writing, the editing, and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, what's next? Uh, So after that comes, well, what I would recommend is Whatever you've just written, so like for me, whatever I've just written, I shelve it and put it aside and don't look at it for a while. Because the more time that you can give yourself between that first draft and that edit and the editing process, uh, the more you'll just you'll start to see it with new eyes. So I wouldn't recommend editing something um, for at a at a minimum twenty four hours, but ideally. One week, two weeks, one month. I mean, heck, depending on the type of blog that you write and depending on your um, way that you organize your time and your writing schedule, if you can shelve something for six months and then come back to it, that would be that would be ideal. I don't do that, but that, I would like <laughs> to do that. Well, okay, I have to add something in here because I went through a period of time where I was writing every day for 30 minutes. And Uh I did actually every day just to get myself into the habit. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed after maybe a month or so of doing this that I had enough content to fill up the next like four months. (laughs) And that was like the most productive that I'd ever been. And I think I got that from uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Someone asked him one day, how do you become a better comedian? And Mm -hmm. he said, to become a better comedian, uh, comedian, you want to tell more jokes. And to become uh, to tell more tell better jokes, you gotta write more jokes. And in order to do that, you gotta do it every day. And what he recommended was taking a calendar, and for mm-hmm. every day that you write a joke, you put a check mark on that day. And then his next recommendation was don't miss one day. And I think that helps us be so much more productive. And it's something that I got out of, mm-hmm. but I can see myself getting back into it because of how beneficial it was. Absolutely. I would like to add something to that. So I, I totally agree with that, but I want to add a, a yes and. Okay, go. Um, so there is, uh, are you familiar with a writer named Cal Newport? I'm not. Uh, so he is a professor at, I believe, Georgetown University. Um, and he has published a number of books about improving your performance in whatever it is that you do, whatever your career is. Um, and one thing that he noted is that sheer practice alone doesn't necessarily lead to improvement. Mm. You have to practice at the edge of what you're capable of. Um, and so he cited this example of uh, when he was young, when he was probably 10 or 12 or, you know, when he was roughly in middle school, um, he started playing the guitar. And 
somebody that he knew also started playing the guitar. And both of them played a lot all throughout middle school and high school and into their early 20s. They played a lot. But I think it's the guitar. I might be getting the instrument wrong. But, you know, the story still stands. Exactly. You know, they both played the same musical instrument and they really probably put in roughly the same number of hours. But he just played the songs that he knew and he was comfortable with. Mm. Like he played the music that didn't uh, challenge him, the music that was easy for him to play. His friend constantly practiced right at the edge of his ability, which is less fun to to be (laughs) much less fun. But by the time they had reached their early 20s, his friend was just head and tails, light years beyond him even though they had both put in the same number of hours. And so the point that he was making is that quantity of hours isn't the only story. It's also the quality of those hours and how uh, much you're challenging yourself. You know, to use a sports analogy, are you the figure skater who's constantly doing the same jump that you know how to do over and over? Mm. Or are you the figure skater that's trying a new jump and falling on your butt on the ice every single time? I, I love that. Now, now, how does that look when it comes to writing? Um, I'm assuming you're not talking about the quantity of t- the amount of time. Mm-hmm. What, do, what does that look like for someone that wants to be better at writing? Mm. So a couple of things. Uh, number one, l- I recommend l- reading books about how to be a better writer. Mm. And I can, I can offer some specific tips right now. Because um, I, I, it always bothers me on podcasts when people are like, oh, look up this thing. And, you know, the listener's like, but I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I'll offer some of those specific tips right now. But basically every tip that I have learned has come out of a book about how to write. Um, so read books about how to be a better writer. And then go during the editing process, go back through and, you know, consciously apply all of those tips to a piece. And don't just edit an article once. Edit it over and over and over again, you know, edit it five times, 10 times until you successively create better and better pieces. So that's one thing I would say. The other thing I'd say is if you have access to uh, a talented editor, and I use the word talented because you have to be very careful who you take advice from. But if you have access to a talented editor, send your articles to that person, uh, One of the periods of my life in which I grew the most as a writer was when um, I I used to be a reporter at a daily newspaper. And so my job was to write an article a day. I Mm. had to, whether or not there was anything newsworthy to write about, I had to submit an article every day that was going to get published in the next day's newspaper. And so when I submitted that article, my, my editor sat down with me and we would go through the article together and he would point out the you know phrasing that i had done well and phrasing that i had done poorly and by virtue of going through that with him every, every workday um for years i i mean the quality of what i could produce at the end of my time working at that newspaper was nothing like what i was producing at the beginning i i love that um now you mentioned some books uh mm-hmm. do you have any recommendations for any books that someone, sure. If someone is really interested in this kind of stuff, what would you recommend? Sure. Yeah, there's an author named Sol Stein. And his book, let me, let me make sure that I have it right, because I think it's called On Writing. On but Writing me, is by Stephen, uh, uh, by Stephen, Stephen King. King, right? His book, what is it? It's the name of his book. It's very similar. How do you spell his name? So, okay, so his first name is S-O-L. And his last name is Stein, S-T-E-I-N. Oh, I, I guess he does have a book called On Writing, Stein on Writing. Ah, that's what it is, Stein on Writing. Okay. Yes. Stein on Writing. I'm writing that down because I want to check that out. I got the one from Stephen King, and I plan on going through that. I'm very curious to see. I, I, I keep hearing about that one. I've read that too. The number one piece of advice that I got from that book is um, he recommends this is this is phrased in a very Stephen King sort of way of phrasing <laughs> things, but he recommends killing your darlings. Huh. And what that means, are you familiar with the sunk cost fallacy? Yes. Okay, so I'll briefly explain it for the for any listeners who uh, aren't acquainted with it. Yeah. But the sunk cost fallacy is um, if you have put a whole mm. bunch of time and effort and money and energy into anything, you 
naturally are inclined to continue on because you have already sunk so many resources into it. But that's not the most rational way to make a decision. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter, quote, uh, using the words doesn't matter in air quotes. It uh, doesn't it shouldn't influence your decision what you've done in the past because the past cannot be changed. All you can change is the present. And uh, and if you realize that a given course of action should be cut, then you cut it regardless of what you've already sunk into it. And the concept that Stephen King writes about in his book on writing is very similar. He talks about killing your darlings, meaning that even if you have put hours into a piece um, and you've sweated over it and, you know, you feel this emotional connection like you want to publish it just because you've worked so hard <laughs> on it, um, you're not acting in service of your audience. Mm. You're acting in service of yourself. yourself. And so in order to truly act in service of your audience, you need to kill that piece despite your emotional connection to it. Um, and so what I've done is I find I find that it's emotionally very difficult to pull that article uh, into the trash or to, to or to literally delete it. So I have a file folder mm. on my desktop called Kill Your Darlings. <laughs> and that's where they all live. It's and and I never access it. I never open it. None of that ever gets published, but it helps psychologically. It just helps <laughs> me to think, "Oh, I haven't deleted it. It just belongs in this other folder now." It, it has a special folder. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so I'm I'm with you so far. We've gotten our inspiration. We've brain dumped onto a piece of paper, and now we're starting. We've actually we've put it to to the side for at least 24 hours, if not more. And now we've come back to this article, and it is staring us in the face. What? And yeah, go go ahead. That's when you start editing. That's when you start editing. So what does that look like? Ah, uh, so I guess this is where we would go into specifics of how to write well. Yep. Because um, in order to know how to edit, you need to kind of know what you're looking for. So here I'm just going to give you like a random smattering of tips uh, that I have learned that I've kind of picked up over the years. Number one, and this actually also came out of Stephen King's book on writing, is to get rid of almost every adverb. So just in context, an adjective is a word that modifies a noun, so, um, like a beautiful the, person, exactly. Beautiful person, red chair. Um, so the, ad, the adjective is modifying that noun An adverb is a word that modifies a verb. So he slammed the door quickly, or I'm sorry, he shut the door quickly, you know, like quickly is modifying shut. Got it. Um, and Stephen King's point, and I've, and actually Sol Stein also agrees with this, and many, many books that I've read um, kind of raise the same point, is that verbs are, verbs drive your writing forward. There's, um, they're, they're just, they're, they're incredibly powerful. And so if you need to modify your verb, that's an indication that you need a better verb. Huh. You know, you don't need an adverb, you need a better verb. And so uh, in the example of, he shut the door quickly, that could be re- rewritten into he slammed the door. Huh. And that's much more powerful. It's much more evocative than he shut the door quickly. Very interesting. So you're uh, trying to apply this um, th- this strategy or tactic, whatever you want to call it. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you would literally go through and if you see an adverb, yeah. then you'd stop and you'd say, wait a minute. If I need an adverb there, then I'm not doing something right. Exactly. Can I use a better verb? Exactly. Exactly. That is one of one of many things I do when I'm editing a post. So that's the first time I've heard that tip, and I am so glad to hear it. I, I there's some software that I use that mm-hmm. um, I forgot. The, I think it's Hemingway app or something mm-hmm. of that sort. And what it does is it highlights different writing elements. And if mm-hmm. I have too many adverbs or too many adjectives or whatever the case might be, it'll give me scores and tell me, okay, take this away, put that in here or whatever the case might be. And that helps me to do some of what you're talking about. But I always hear them, it always tells me I have too many adverbs and I never really <laughs> understood why that's a big deal. But that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so that's one tip. I love that tip. Let's go with some more tips. Give me all the tips you got. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So one that I learned recently is is to also be judicious about adjectives, which which is very counterintuitive. Uh, 
most people, what I had learned for, you know, the previous decades of my life uh, was that adjectives are are great. You know, they that they bring color and life to a piece. But the the thing that I learned recently, the the opinion that I learned that I've been trying to implement is if an adjective states the obvious, if it doesn't really add anything to the sentence, then kill it. But if it adds something to the sentence, if it makes the sentence more visual, for example, or uh, it evokes some curiosity, then you can keep it. So in other words, um, I, I guess a shorter way of phrasing that would be with adjectives as well as really with all words, don't state the obvious. Um, let me give you an example. And actually, this example is not specifically about adjectives. This example is about just generally cutting out words that are unnecessary. All right. What would you think of this? the following sentence? Twelve rescue ambulances stood by to rush injured people to nearby hospitals. Huh, okay, so let's let's think about words that we maybe don't need. Mm-hmm. Rescue ambulances, you said, right? Yep. Well, do we really need rescue? Exactly. exactly. That's what an ambulance is going to do. Exactly. Exact. Perfect. And, you, are, you are a quick learner. All right. Sweet. So let yes. me let me let me see if I can continue even more. Okay. Uh, injured people. Mm-hmm. If they are rushing people somewhere, if the ambulance goes to get people, they don't usually go to get people that are in a good state. They usually <laughs> go to get injured people or something of that sort to take them wherever they're going. So those are two words that jump out at me quickly as, huh, those might not be necessary. Exactly. Exactly. Did I miss any? Particularly, I mean, you know, ambulances also pick up, you know, sick people or people who have heart attacks. But if there are 12 of them standing by, we're probably talking about, you know, injured people. Exactly. I like that. Did I miss any? You're absolutely correct. There's more that we can cut. Keep going. I, I, I need to hear the sentence again. The original sentence was 12 rescue ambulances stood by to rush injured people to nearby hospitals. Does it have to be? Ne- Do we have to include nearby? No, we don't. Because why would they rush him to a hospital that's far away? <laughs> exactly. Oh, I'm gonna. I live in uh, Cincinnati, <laughs> but I'm gonna rush you to a hospital all the way in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, so we've trimmed the fat by three words. Is there anything else we can cut? Sure. Oh, okay. You gotta take. You got. You gotta take control now because I. I I'm all cut out. Okay. So first of all. Um, 12 rescue ambulances stood by to rush injured people to nearby hospitals. Oh, Let's do- look at the word rush. Okay. So do ambulances like <laughs> saunter? Do they, you know, like meander? You know, how does, how does an ambulance typically drive? It usually rushes. Exactly. So that word can get cut. All right. And what about 12 actually? Do we need to know how many ambulances were there? I, I would argue yes. Okay. Because that's, uh, that's, that's informative. Gotcha. Um, But what about hospitals? So where do ambulances take people? Ah, Good point. Supermarket. Good point. I've never had one take me to a supermarket yet, (laughs) so I think we might be able to cut that part. Exactly. And so now, with all of those cuts, the sentence has turned into twelve ambulances stood by. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, yeah. And so that is a. that is the editing process. You know, we don't often write in such a concise way when we're flowing stream of consciousness. But in the editing process, that's when we can really trim the fat and include only words that drive the story forward. And I want to take a moment here to clarify, when I talk about being concise or being brief, I am not referring to word count. So you can write a 40,000-word blog post Mm. that is concise and brief, you know? Or you can write a 500-word blog post that's... Bloated. (laughs) Loaded, exactly. That's just loaded with fluff and unintentional or unnecessary uh, wording. I feel as if with just these two tips, you can accomplish a lot in terms of becoming a better writer. Oh, thank you. So do you have any more tips? Sure. I've got, I've got plenty. All so, right, let's go. Um, okay. So the fundamental sentence structure, subject, verb, object, he ran, uh, you know, she, uh, kicks 
the soccer ball. Mm-hmm. That's that's just the basic sentence structure that that many of us learn when we're children. When in doubt, if you're ever unsure of how to structure a sentence, go back to that. Hmm. Because if you structure a sentence, subject, verb, object, you are unlikely to be loading it down with, um, you know, dependent clauses at the beginning of the sentence. And you're unlikely to be like reverting into the past tense. You're much more likely to be in active voice, present tense. Um, so that's, that's just kind of a, like a quick and easy way to get yourself into writing active voice. So a, and, a, a quick example of that would, let, let's say I'm writing about a, a boy that's kicking a ball. I can say the ball was kicked by the boy. Mm-hmm. But you're saying, instead uh, of doing that, the boy kicked the ball. Exactly, exactly. So when you're thinking about it, while you're editing and you're in that thinking process of how should I reorder the sentence, and you're not sure what to do, like any time that you're in doubt, just go back to subject, verb, object. Love it. Um, Another tip, don't start sentences with a dependent clause. So as background, a dependent clause is a phrasing within a sentence that depends on the main sentence in order to make sense. So it could not stand on its own as a complete sentence. If you were to put a period at the end of it instead of a comma, it would be a, a fragment. Gotcha. Can you give us an, ex- an example of that? Um, let me think. I don't have one off the top of my head. Let me, you know what? Let me, I'm going to pick on you, Leslie. Let me go to your blog and Uh-oh. see if I can find one. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me. This is actually kind of exciting. I want to see, <laughs> see what you find. Da-da-da. Let's see. It's, sorry, this, this might take a minute. That's no problem. We don't mind waiting. We've got some time. <laughs> Whew, okay. All right, I got one for you. I'm okay, on let's you. go. <laughs> okay, so this sentence is on the page that's becomeablogger.com slash start dash a dash blog. So it's the start a blog page. And at the very, very end of that, well, close to the end, there's a sentence that says, well, parentheses, making a long story short, comma, (laughs) (laughs) that blog landed me my dream job as a university professor in a doctoral program, even without a PhD. Whew, that's a, <laughs> wow, there's a lot going on in that sentence. There's a lot going on. Hey, I was excited. It landed me a dream job. So I put it all in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so help me, help me fix that. So if you wanted to go into, first of all, I would break this up into a few different sentences. Actually, the, the part that I want to pick on is the, those last four words, even without a PhD. And for the listeners who aren't, able to look at this. I'm just going to reread it out loud. Well, making a long story short, that blog landed me my dream job as a university professor in a doctoral program, even without a PhD. (gasps) (laughs) You you made it Um, to the end. (laughs) So, okay. So even without a PhD, the way that you've placed it in that sentence, it modifies doctoral program. You have a doctoral program without a PhD. Like, I don't even understand. Like, I know, you know, uh, rationally that what you're probably trying to say is that you didn't have a PhD and yet you landed a job as a university professor. At least I assume that's what you meant, right? That is correct. Okay. That is not what this sentence says. (laughs) Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm being harsh. No, no, no. I love this. I love when people can dissect what I'm doing, especially when I'm doing it wrong. So have at it. (laughs) So because of the placement, I'm, I'm kind of veering into another writing tip now, but because of the placement of the phrase, even without a PhD, um, phrases are, ought to modify whatever they're closest to. And so what I read when I read this is that the doctoral program Doesn't was a without PhD. a PhD. Got it. Um, so how I would restructure this sentence is, first of all, you've started it with a dependent clause. Well, parentheses, making a long story short. Okay, so that's the part that it's dependent on something else. 
but it doesn't stand on its own. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Because okay. imagine instead of putting a comma after it, imagine that you put a period. Would that be a complete sentence? Not at all. So that's how you know it's a dependent clause. It's a clause that depends on the main sentence. And it's actually, you know, as I read this sentence, it's completely unnecessary. <laughs> it doesn't add anything to um, this saying, well, making a long story short. Mm -hmm. That's unnecessary. I could have just started with that blog and continue on from there. Yeah. Or that is that is true. Yes. And yes. And I like that. Yes. And <laughs> yes. And you also could have uh, said I landed my dream job as a university professor despite not having a PhD um, thanks to my blog. That makes sense. You know, that's one way that you could have done it. Yep. Or you could break it up into a few different sentences. I landed my dream job as a university professor, period. Yet, I didn't have a PhD, period. And, and this is if you want to draw it out a little. How did I do that? Or how did I manage that? Or how did that happen? You know, so then you ask a question, which kind of draws the reader into the story. It was all, it's thanks to the blog. Oh, I love that. All right. So this, this page is getting some work done to it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But I see how you take some of these very simple tips mm -hmm. and you apply them to deconstruct, or, or no, not deconstruct, to edit the content that you've dumped out there. And I can tell you this content is content that I kind of dumped out there. I maybe spent five, ten minutes editing and then I posted it. Mm. So I could see how going through that process and implementing these uh, these steps, like give, getting rid of the adverb, uh, the adverbs, um, being judicious about adjectives, going with the structure, verb, object, I mean, subject, verb, object, structure, and not starting with a dependent clause. I feel as if if I just do those four things, my yeah. writing is going to be much better than it was before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are two more, two other things that I would say. One is that um, it's, it's funny that you brought up the Hemingway app because uh, Ernest Hemingway, who is one of my favorite writers, um, I, I'm not going to, I, I'm not going to curse on air, but he has a quote uh -huh. in which he says, uh, the first draft is bleep. <laughs> And and it, that's no Hemingway. <laughs> you know, that is one of the greatest American writers in history. Mm. So if if one of the classics, if one of the greats says that about his own drafts, um, and that's true. You know, I uh, I imagine I could spend my entire life trying to write uh, something that even one day will approach the the level and the quality of Hemingway's first draft. <laughs> you know, so um so that that's just something to keep in mind. You know, the the fact that first drafts are terrible uh is not a reflection of you as a any of us as a person or as a writer. Got it. Every writer's first draft is terrible. Even Hemingway's. Even I mean, how many edits do you think that um Shakespeare went through hmm. or J.K. Rowling or just anyone, you know? Awesome. So we're not alone. We're in, if, mm -hmm. if our first drafts suck, we mm -hmm. are not alone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Your first draft is supposed to be terrible. Yeah. That's, that's its job, you know? If you start editing, actually, that's another tip that I want to throw in. Don't edit during the brain dump process. And that is a very hard tip for me to follow. It's like that's... Of everything I've said on this podcast, that's the piece of advice that <laughs> I myself have a hard time following. Because uh, once you kind of get into the practice of editing a lot, it's so natural for me when I look at it, a sentence on my laptop screen, I cringe and I immediately want to go back go and back. edit it. And, but that can really interrupt your workflow. And it, and, it, and it can cause writer's block because then you kind of get hung up on these feelings of, you know, perfectionism and all of that. So let yourself, like, embrace the suck, you know, embrace the terrible first draft. So I have a, a friend that recommended an app to me. I, I can't remember the name of the app, but it's actually kind of funny um, when it comes to the, the brain dump process. Basically, you start typing, Mm. And if you stop typing for, and you could set the amount of time, 
everything mm-hmm. that you wrote before disappears. <laughs> <gasps> oh my! Ooh. Okay, I have to find this app. I, I I will find it and I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, a, a friend Gideon Shalwick he recommended it to me, so I'm gonna find that. And I'll let you know what that is. Um, oh, it yeah. it it's actually quite fun. You can set it where you're writing, like on a WordPress processor document, or you could type do it where you're only seeing the word that you are currently writing. So it has oh. different modes. But oh. the idea is, you once you start, you I, wait. I think the app might be called flow it's once you start you have to keep flowing and if you stop you lose it all <laughs> wow, I, I need that wow <laughs> so yeah I, I'll, I'll look for that okay well lots of great writing tips and we're coming down to the end of the episode i want to talk a little bit about your course that's coming i know it's not here yet but when when can we expect it Oh, that is a great, I would love to know that too. <laughs> um, so as of now, I believe, um, and this is like knock, knock on wood, uh, I believe March 1st, 2017 is my projected everything will be finished and the course will be ready date. Um, given the, the writing calendar and the video production calendar and all of that that I have mapped out between now and then. Got it. So, so if that is that is an unduly precise date, so please do not uh, <laughs> please take that with not just a grain of salt, but a gigantic salt shaker. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, if anyone is listening to this right now and th- what um, uh, uh, Paula is doing at her blog, Afford Anything, sounds interesting to you. Go over there, sign up to her email list. You're going to love the content that's going to come your way. And whenever that course launches, you'll be able to check it out. She'll be, I'm sure you're going to announce that to your list, right? Oh, oh, yes, of course, of course. Definitely. So get on her list. Paula, thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been so much fun. No problem. I know I'm going to have you on sometime in the future again. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) thanks again. Hey, guys, I hope you got a lot. No, no. I keep saying I hope you got a a lot of value, and I know you got a lot of value from it. Thank you so much for tuning in. This was episode 274. Uh, If you got value from it and you want to see the show notes, because we're going to have all the things there for you. Becomeablogger.com slash 273. Also, I got one call to action beyond that for you. If you want to take your blogging business to the next level, you want to you want to get some coaching. You want me to hold your hand. I want to invite you to check out my coaching club, the Become a Blogger Coaching Club, where I will coach you for free for the next 30 days. Yep, that's right. 100% free of charge. And you don't even have to give your credit card details. This is what you need to do to, to claim this offer. Just go over to bloggercoaching.com. That's bloggercoaching.com. And when you register there for free, you're going to get access to all my courses on building a blogging business. You're going to get able to get on the live group coaching calls. You're going to get access to the Facebook group, the private Facebook group, live webinars, and more. Once again, that's bloggercoaching.com. Head over there. Let's get the party started. But that's all for now. This is Leslie Summer here from becomeablogger.com where we're changing the world one blog at a time. And until next time, take care and God bless.